you can be successful in a feedback model, but you have to be super fast. Right. So, but like RIM, for example, they were not like, so when consumers expectations changed around maybe like a touchscreen experience, it takes them three years to adapt to that, (laughs) you know? So, but, you know, but, but, but if they could have done that in a month or six months, then they could still do it. So it's actually what causes companies to fail. It's when they're on a feedback model only and their response time is so slow that they can't react. So, I mean, like by the time RIM did, yeah, like by the time RIM did put in, like did react put something in the offering, I mean, the market had already changed like two or three times after that. So they're always like, they're responding to like the market like two years after, like there's signals. They're responding to signals from two years ago. Hi, and welcome to Dreams with Deadlines, a podcast where you'll hear real stories of trials and victories in business. I'm Jenny Harold, Chief Product Officer of GTM Hub. GTM Hub is the world's most powerful platform for objectives and key results, or OKRs. In concept, OKRs are easy to understand, but challenging to execute. Until now. Check us out at gtmhub.com to learn more. Alan Clement is known for developing the theories of jobs to be done and market modernization, and for inventing new methodologies and methods for engineering growth. Alan's results include leading efforts to create award-winning products, increasing revenues by millions of dollars, bringing internal alignment throughout an entire organization, and stopping costly initiatives that would have wasted time and millions in R&D. His latest venture is Revealed, a market research and growth guidance firm that helps organizations grow, align, and reveal market insights. He's the author of When Coffee and Kale Compete and is in the process of writing a follow-on book called Jobs to be Done, Understanding Needs, Predicting Adoption. This is part two of our conversation. In this episode, we discuss OKRs and jobs to be done, the two goals that product people should take into consideration, the importance of a feed-forward communication culture, and you get a sneak peek into some concepts and models Alan will cover in his new book. Let's jump in. Jobs to be done asks that question, why do people hire, because they hire fire products, or right. how, how and why do people adopt and abandon products? And this is where it becomes now a theory, because we're trying to basically describe the equation of product adoption and abandonment. Like, you know, what are the contributing factors that we believe come into play that cause someone to adopt something new or, or abandon what they're currently using? What they were doing, yeah. Yeah. And so I think, you know, so to me, when, when we say like, you know, understand the consumer or a customer, whatever, I prefer consumer, but we're, okay. you know, whatever consumer. language you want to use, you know, it's, it's, it's about, it's not just, again, it's that needs, historically, that, that means know what their quote unquote needs are. But I think that's kind of a needs myopia. It's like, well, what is the whole package that we have to put in front of someone so they will adopt it, right? And so that's what Jobs to investigate. So, like in our research, when we study, you know, we've actually been approaching this like a legitimate science. Like, okay, let's actually conduct experiments and research, like product adoption, and you know why people do that, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, we we find things like, for example, you know, part of understanding the consumer means understanding how they build trust in a product, right? You know, which we know, like, you know, like putting, you know, for your target consumer, how do you build trust that your product will actually deliver on upon its promise? Is it saying number one, you know, favorite in our country? Or is it like maybe having a person just like you, a picture of them giving some testimonial? Or is it, you know, we have, we are EU privacy, you know, compliant and approved. Or we partner with the EU or whatever it is, right? You're figuring out like what's that trust component happening Mm. or things like how are they, when you put certain words and images in front of them, how do they interpret that? You know, so like, for example, if if I say, you know, if I want to, if I'm Nest and I want to figure out, okay, how can I get maybe not technical savvy people to adopt our Nest? What do we need to put in front of them so that they're not overwhelmed? Right? And thinking like it's too gadgety, but that they can kind of feel like it actually does serve them. Like we know it does, but like how do we figure out 
like how are they when they see this, how they're reacting to it and how they're imagining it and using it, which is different maybe for to like a techie people. Like maybe you want to talk about the API and maybe you want to talk about you know these other features because those techie people will like that stuff. Whereas maybe all we do is we show advertising or, or an image of you know a woman, a, a middle-aged woman who's just is like you know watching TV, chopping vegetables or doing homework or whatever. And just like the nest is behind her and she's like, I don't even know I have it or whatever it is, right? <laughs> the messaging that's appropriate to whomever yeah. the audience at whoever yeah. so, you want to be able to talk to right. right through your messaging. Yeah. And but that, that's like it's that's kind of knowing like, you know, how do they make that connection to what's the messaging that I see? How do I connect that to some needs? So like you have to like holistically know all this stuff, right? I mean, I, I can go on. To, there's a few more variables on that, but I think, and then of course there is the needs, right? You know, what needs is this touching on? But that's really just one small part of the entire equation for product adoption, and that's, you know, I think the the alternative in a much better way than that, um, you know, voice of the customer. Let's just kind of let's talk to the middle-aged woman and find out what all of her needs are. Cause I'm sure she sits around things about her, all of her 200 needs every day when it comes. Okay. No, they don't, by the way, I'm sorry, but you know, we'll dissect them and then we'll build a perfect right. product for her. I mean, it's like, it doesn't work that way. She's not even thinking about you. She's thinking about no. what to eat for breakfast. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. So what, what we're saying then is you, you need to be able to establish trust. That's one aspect yeah. of this. Some messaging. You said that there are other, components if you will yeah complex can you can you kind of oh yeah yeah here i, I into, oh okay yep the third is the needs obviously the price is also something that someone's going to oh evaluate yeah oh, at some point yeah so, right? so, so yeah, we, we, here's right, multiple so, things oh yeah we, we call it we, yeah we call it so that's the other thing too right which again was missing from voice to the customer but you have to know if you want to create growth and get pro people to adopt your product is for example understand how they compute value mm -hmm. right value for money like right what's the equation that they're going on in their brain? Like, for example, we did a study with people with a company trying to make a new sleep aid technology. And, and you know, we would, I can go into the, the research process that we do. It's like a two-phase approach, but that's, we can, if we want to, we can touch on that later. But what, what I want to touch on right now is, for example, during our, what we call smoke testing part, we would, you know, describe the product and, you know, figure out their, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then we, we get to a part of the interview. It was like, okay, you know, here are some bundles, you know, here's what it looks like. Here's what you get. How much do you think this costs? So it's kind of like a price is right kind of, you know, <laughs> guess what right. it is. Then we show them the price and like, do you think it's a fair price or not? We're not trying to, you know, we're not going to like go away with like, oh yes, you know, it has 199 euros is, yeah. is right. No, no, no. It's, it's like when they yeah. saw 199, how, how do, do they, they react? Yeah. Yes. Like right? how do they compute? Like how do they, they compute like, that? Ooh, like that's yeah. that's a little steep or yeah. Or you know yeah, what? They, that I can I can see that. Right. Like, or that yeah, reaction. Yes. Right? And but then, then we dig into it. We say, why is it too much? Mm. Right. Or or like why does it seem right? And then you hear things like, well, you know, you know, um, this is the alternative. Right. I'm going to yes. a sleep doctor, yes, you know, once a month. Yeah, exactly. And you know, insurance pays for it, but I'm not sleeping any better and it's just a waste of my time. So that's amazing thing, you said that. Yeah. Right? Like that people literally sense. said that. They're like, Whoa. you know, my my insurance, you know, probably won't cover this device and but they pay for my doctor. But you know what? I go to my doctor like, you know, once All every two months yeah. and it's like four hours. It's like half my day. I have to take off work. And then the doctor just like basically shrugs her shoulders and just tells me something I could have read on the internet anyway. And, or they may, they give me a pill and I don't want right. that. So like, that's how they're computing. And they're like, value for money. totally. I know how much I make at work. That's four yeah. hours of my, I'm hourly at blah, blah, blah rate. This yeah. is, I can cover that in however much time. Like this is a no brainer kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And so that's what we are, are trying to like assess and ask. You know, first off, you want to find out like who your ideal customer profile is. Mm -hmm, right. Meaning, like, for example, you may have the right product concept, but maybe you're just targeting the wrong group of people. For example, mm -hmm, right? Right. 
right? Or having a plan, kind of said before, like like uh, with the Nest, be like, look, we our feature set is locked and it's good, but when we target different groups of consumers, we just highlight different features or we talk about them differently. Right. Right. All right. How customers build trust in the concept. Oh yeah. So going back to the needs thing, you're right. Kind of as we were saying before, like what, which needs will consumers pay to have resolved? Mm. Like you, you have to figure that out, which again was missing voice. Of the customer was just assuming that if there is a, a needs gap, and if you fill that, then consumers will necessarily buy the better version of the product. Which at the beginning of our conversation, when we were describing our computer situation, right? Yeah. Should I upgrade my computer now? Yeah. Like that's just, you can't just say, well, there's an, a better computer, so I'm going to buy a better computer because right. it's faster than my current computer. Like it does, there's so many things involved in that purchasing decision, right? Yes. So, so yeah. having that one slice or a single or two variables even in the equation covered, yeah, it's not going to cover it. But it's it's it's. Uh, I think if you have some way of of figuring out like what's the threshold, mm -hmm. right? Right. It's like the you, tipping okay. point for them. So like yeah. for example, I'll tell you what the threshold for me was for this laptop I bought. Mm. You know, I I my previous laptop again. You know, it was a MacBook Pro. You know, I had it for a couple years. You know, this is maybe it's a 2015 model. And then the 2016 model came by. I'm like, oh, you know, I don't need that. You know, faster or whatever. I don't really care. But then Apple came out with the Touch ID thing, right? Uh, yes. And I was like, I hate typing in my password. I hate. I, I know this, is, this may sound you know superficial, but for me that that was that was the threshold. Okay. Of of like that was when that was a need, quote unquote, that I or a whatever you want to call it, right? that I'd be willing to pay for. So like all the other needs that were there, I that was not enough to like cross that threshold right. of like willingness to pay. So you have to, which again, voice of customers does not figure that out. It just, it just kind of assumes, well, if we just make everything better then just then people they will necessarily buy. buy, but you have to figure yeah. out what's that threshold hmm. and, and, and to kind of make this more tangible for, for people, like how we test this when we're doing concept testing is, you know, when we create, false landing pages or false promotional change or false product launches or advertising on LinkedIn or whatever. And, and we list the features, we figure we kind of like iteratively build up the features or phrase things that this new product will do. And we figure out, okay, we found out that, you know, when we, if it was just a faster graphics card or faster that wasn't doing it, but then once we added this new face recognition technology, that was, that was what tipped it over. Or, you know, to kind of jump on something you said previously, it could be that it's a different person. Like if you're talking to yes. a gamer, right? Yes, exactly. Like what if it what, what if it was a gamer and you said, I have such a mo so much better graphics card and yes. they spend a lot of time gaming and they want to see their the visuals of yep. their games rendered in this beautiful and it's fast and I don't have to worry about it and there's no weird pixelation and stuff. They're like, oh, I want that. That's their tipping point. Yeah. So yeah, kind of tying back earlier, like, you might have the perfect product or you might have a really great product and you're just pushing it to the, your messaging is to the wrong person and you need to rework yep. that. Yeah. Yep. 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 So, right. Yeah, yeah. And which is something else the voice of the customer does not do. Like if you look at voice, you know, just Google it, you know, what, how they do it, they, they come out like, well, here is the plan for improving the product. It's right, not right. saying, well, for who? Because every, you know, in, in the software and more complex products, what's important and what isn't and what that threshold is will be different. Like uh, we did some research for why organizations adopt HR software, for example. And, you know, legal has their own quote unquote needs, you know, right. threshold for adoption. Yeah. You know, sure head of HR. You don't get sued. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Like basically it. Like, Just like been, don't, don't sue our business. Let's minimize like, any risk. That yeah. was literally it. It was like, yeah. you know, we, we would interview the, these companies and we say, okay, you know, you're, you know, legal, you, we've learned that at big organizations like yourself, like really big ones, right? You know, that there has to be multiple stake before they switch over to a new HR platform, which can be a lot of money. You know, there has to be like legal has to give their check off. We talk to them. Like, okay. Well, what, like, what's your, what do you care about? Yeah. What does, what check boxes do they have to have? And they'll just say like, well, you know, I don't really care about performance, man, you know, performance management or, uh, you know, uh, 360 or, you know, all, all that kind of stuff is I don't care about that, that kind of stuff. We just want to know if we get sued, can I go back and prove that this person is a disgruntled employee or 
or or you know can i, can I have prove substantive evidence yes to defend our case because it's it's in the tool I yes exactly it, you know right? yeah, yeah. they say things like yeah make sure i can find you know i have to I have to basically make sure that i can prove that this person uh saw our workplace sensitivity video and took for the example. training yeah took the training whatever. and then yeah. if they did this then we're legally you know we can see you know, whatever we're, we're absolved of either guilt or that we're justified in firing them. Right. You know, and, and then like, but then you go through different, but that's, you know, but like the HR person, they should don't care, but we're well, not honestly don't care, but different. But then if you have like, uh, you know, a manager, you know, they don't care about that. They care they about the like performance one, right. one-on-one training or, yes. or conversations they can have, yep. you know, how can they recognize their employees with your tool, whatever. Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. So it's, it's anyway, it's, it's figuring all that stuff. Um, it's figuring out like, what's that? But again, it's like not, it's not just that they know you want to do it. You know, it's not just knowing that need, right? It's about knowing like, you know, what, what's the threshold where they're willing to switch or adopt something new? Cause again, it's like, well, maybe like, um, I don't think I can. Yeah. I, okay. I can't say their name, but basically probably the, the biggest airline in Europe Right. If, if it's not number one, it's number two. Right. Up until like a year ago, they were, you know, this is like a hundred thousand people. I mean, or 50, whatever, just huge company. Right. They were using um, like their HR was, was still physical papers. Like it, it, it just blew me away. Like when I was talking to these people, like they still were using physical papers. Um, and, because it and, was you know, working just fine. Exactly. You know, right? It was, it was like, it, but it had to be, there had to be some sort of need threshold, like the, 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 you know, the cost of switching or adopting something new, you know, you had to have an offering compelling enough that was, that was, you know, willing for them to invest in the tremendous money it takes to switch. Well, you know, like, the, money training. Yes, right? exactly. You have yep. a bunch of employees. If you're like 150 hundred thousand people yep. yeah figure out how are they going to go from what they were doing every day and then get them efficient enough to do the same stuff with this new tool that you're paying money for so there's there are multiple costs to the business besides yep. the money of doing it yep. or you know like yeah, what do you do with all that paper like can it ingest all that paperwork stuff right. if there's if there's a transition period or you know like there needs to be a rollout kind of idea probably hopefully a product person oh, is yes. through that well, Right. Yeah. And, and so like, and again, like, that's like, you may not get that. Like, for example, if, if, if you're to make a HR platform or something like that, and mm-hmm. you were to, you know, do quote unquote normal needs analysis, you may not get, you know, the quote unquote need for a one-time switch, right. like scanning in paper. Like, well, why would, why would we add a feature on how to scan in paper when we're a paper, we feature we're paper lists. That's what we do. Right? Why would we build a feature to help people scan in stuff? Right. But it turns out, oh, wait a minute, if we want to, you know, sell a million euro contract to the biggest airline industry or the biggest airline in Europe, they're going to need that feature right? <laughs> because they're going to spend five years scanning in all of their old <laughs> stuff into the new and system. And they won't do it. Their, their transitions costs are too high. Like, yes. you know, that threshold is too high and you didn't, you didn't actually get there. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's uh, why I think this is fascinating yeah. too, because the, the more we've talked about it, I'm convinced that there there ha- there can be a marriage between OKRs for product and engineering and design teams and jobs to be done, right? And exactly. so the idea is, how do we define the outcome, that yeah. progress that you said against yep. whatever their goal is, and then yep. reduce as much as we can the friction or the yep. the constraints basically make them go away yep. so that they'll adopt whatever because the messaging's yep. right for them. Because the price point makes sense for them, you yes. assess it. But then you're thinking, okay, I'm an OKRs person. I have yep. an organization where I need to align everyone behind the product vision. We've got a strategy which is basically saying these are the bets that we're going to take or not take. Like mm-hmm. we're really honing in on making that vision a reality via the product strategy. Maybe you have a roadmap, maybe maybe not. You have some sort of definition of how you're going to go get there, some tactics. And then you have a bunch of teams that need to execute against all that yep. stuff. And then maybe you have OKRs where you can you can centralize them around a problem statement that is based on a, a job to be done. Like maybe you can do it that yeah. way. And then yeah. they can produce maybe outcomes or measures of whether or not that job to be done was satisfied or not. So perhaps. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what we do, and I haven't thought about this, but so what we what we do, 
So part of our research, I mentioned before that we, we have a two-tiered research process for right. helping. I'm curious about this. Good. Yeah, with, yeah, with helping organizations create growth. So, um, which the, the the short version, kind of how how we coin it is, we call it you know lean startup with a brain, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Makes sense. That's kind of how how we how yeah, we do yeah. it. So the, it's it's a two tier process. So first off, is again, it's that first stage where okay, first off, we just come up with some sort of we call it a growth concept, mm-hmm. which is and again, I kind of want and I would like people who are interested in OKRs or thinking about our earlier thing, like how do we work, how does the organization work together, right? One of the biggest constraints in creating growth is exactly that. Like, mm-hmm. I will, gosh, I mean, especially in the larger organizations, you know, it's like it's it's it's. I see so much garbage in, garbage out for one, and and so much like siloed. Like, well, marketing is over there; they're in a different building, you know, doing their own thing. <laughs> we don't and, even know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and we just know that whatever we make, that they're going to go out and start marketing it. Right. You know, so so we do our own needs analysis by ourselves, but we talk about how all that needs to be done concurrently. So how we do is, is that we, we we assemble a cross-functional effort. Ideally, it's a cross-functional team, right? And we right. come up with what we call a growth concept, which is basically, you know, what are the features for, you know, maybe before this? So before this, you would have done some sort of, you know, uh, which there's tons of work out there, so we don't need to, to duplicate this. But, you know, whatever your creativity process is, just like like what's your ideation? You know, what's what's okay. your yep. ideation? How do you come up with new ideas for products? Right, right, right. right. So, okay. you know, which and, and even going to that, I would say that jobs is helpful. But I would say like you know just just define define needs. You know, don't try to prioritize them because again, like that's always changing. Just think about put together a bundle of needs that you think you know, would, if you were to solve, would create an offering that people would adopt, you know? And I would also say, describe those needs, keep, keep it kind of high level. Like if, if we were making a sales tool, like like a HubSpot or a CRM, like, you know, for example, like, okay, let's think about some goals, like kind of at a high level, like let's make sure, that, oh gosh, this is an interesting side discussion. Okay, so really quick, I'm sorry, but going no, back I to goals because this is important, right? It. I love it. So I, 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 so I'll talk about this in the book too. So there are, there's lots of different schools of thinking about different types of goals and, and their behaviors. I, so I, I've kind of distilled what I think is the two most helpful and useful to, I have a picture on it somewhere. Okay, maybe I'll send it to you or I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll please, screen please. share it. But yeah. basically, oh, actually, you know what? I think I have it on my, um, I, I was making, a, I was kind of like playing around with a diagram of it. There are two two kinds of two types of goals that I think uh, a product person should should be aware of, and that Ooh, a product aims. Good. Yeah, so there's two categories of goals a product aims to aims to solve. One is outcome goals, right, and the other one is environmental goals. Ooh, okay. Right, that, that's what I'm calling it right now. So, outcome goals are. Basically, uh, you know, so you can think of them as intermediary goals. You know, they're the means to some to, end, right? To the end. Like, so for example, so here's a good example I use of of environmental goal versus like an outcome goal. Like, I want to make sure that I am always gainfully employed at a high paying job, right? And so to that, I might go to school to become a doctor. Right. Or I might go to school to, you know, uh, get a degree in finance so so I can work at a, at a hedge fund. So getting the degree or the diploma is an outcome goal. Right? It's a means to help me enable this environmental goal of always make sure that I am gainfully employed at a high paying job. And so, you know, there's lots of subtle differences, but basically it comes down to that, like an outcome goal is literally like cause and effect. It's like, a, it's like once you achieve it, it's no longer relevant. So it has a very finite time box. The element of time is relevant. Whereas a process goal does not have that that time element to it. The process right? or environmental goal? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. The, yeah. yeah I, I got mixed up because the, the technical term in psychology is process goal, but I'm like, no one's going to understand that. So I call it environmental goals. Right. But yeah, the environmental goal has no has no time dimension to it. It's it's always, it's like, as long as that environment is important to me, right? As long as I have this vision in my mind of how I want to live my life, that goal of have a high paying job will be relevant to me. 
Um, like I think when I gave a talk about this at UXDX and also at, at Productized, I, I, I kind of used the example of um, uh, UK leaving the EU. You know, we, 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 like when they talk to people who who voted in favor of leaving the EU, they like, you know, why did you, you know, you basically had this outcome goal of like leave the EU, right? It's like, it's, it's time, like it's, you achieve it and it's no longer relevant. But then like, why, why was that important to you? And like the number one reason was, we believe that Britain should have control over its own immigration. Ah, uh, see, there's the environmental goal. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, it's not like on Monday, I care about immigration control, then Tuesday, no, it's I don't. it's all the time, right? You it's all the time. The time. Care of, like, your immigration policy. Okay. Yes. So, so, yeah, so therefore, I will pursue the outcome goal, right, or the intermediate goal of leave the EU. Because... I believe that it will fulfill my environmental goal of we get to control our own yes. immigration policy and aren't, yeah. aren't needing to uh, share with the rest of the EU states yeah. like a combined, you know, combined legislation or combined yeah. uh, guidance. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so for, okay. for, so if it was me, you know, Let's I'll start it. with the consumer. Right. Mm. And then they, they consume a product or maybe multiple products. Right. And the product has two purposes or it does two has two affectations. One is it's supposed to affect the environment, right? Again, like so a consumer wants to leave the EU, right? Or whatever it is, right? Or consume I, I can't think of it, like legislation or whatever. I don't know yeah. what to call it, but yeah, right, you know, whatever that, that thing is, like, well, on the one end it's a post actually let's keep it to a product, a real product. So yeah. Like, like for example, um, a consumer is 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 consuming a a sales tool, for example, right? Okay. You know, like a, a CRM tool. Like a CRM. Let's go with yeah. that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So you know, it's supposed to help me create this environmental goal of always know the status of my deals, mm -hmm. okay. like or like know the status of my deals. Like that's like I should always be a goal. That's paramount. Like, yeah, it's paramount. like a, a Monday morning before I even walk in the office, I or even turn my computer, like. I know the state of all my deals. And when I leave, I, I know this. It's like even when you're not using the product, I know that that is true. And then, but then maybe it will, you know, then this is where you kind of figure out how are we going to enable that, right? So, and this is kind of like where the UX part and like outcome goals comes in. It's like, well, you know, maybe it processes, you know, I don't, maybe it sends out a text message whenever or pushes to Slack whenever a new lead is created or when this deal of a status, status of a deal changes, you know, it's like those intermediary outcome goals. That help me always remember that the, my, my deals are up to date. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so, and, and so, so kind of like the, the loop here is basically the product. So again, like signals from the product, that's like the UX. So like, that's like directly like a feedback loop right to the consumer. Right. Whereas there's a feedback loop of the consumers also thinking, because like a consumer's thinking, you know, like what's the UX of this product? Is it, is the features good? That's a very kind of like, you know, they're thinking about the product, like, you know, what's the experience of it like? Is it good? But they're also evaluating, well, is it helping me maintain this environment that I want? And so there's a separate feedback loop, different signals that consumers are going to be looking for to determining whether or not this product is, is, is doing what it should be. So like, for example, like, you know, we'll talk to people and we'll go back to the CRM tool. Like if they start saying things like, um, you know, it turns out that, you know, on one day I came in and it turns out that one of our biggest deals, you know, slipped through the cracks in some way. Right. Ooh, yeah. Or that, you know, someone forgot to send out a contract to, to, to a, a deal in, in, in the pipeline. Right. Like that's a signal that's not really directed to the product. It's just like environmentally, that's some signal that I'm looking for that tells me yeah. if, you know, is my environment the way it should be? Do I always know the status yeah. of a deal? And I'm looking for certain signals that tell me if it is or isn't true or not. And Versus, it's possible to get that, right? Like, because the signal could be the customer sent you an email that's not anything to do with your tool. It's in exactly. the environment. And they said, yeah. you were supposed to send us the contract today. So we yes. do some red lines what happened. And now I'm thinking back to the experience and I'm saying, wait, how come the product didn't do what I environmentally had as yes. a goal, which is keep me posted and up to date on everything I need to do regarding yeah. to my, my deals. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's actually important okay. too, because th this actually helps you 
get away, this kind of model thinking also helps you understand, like remember talking about before with voice of the customer, it was basically, they don't, there is no environmental goal consideration because it's like, well, I buy the CD player and then I use and it. It's supposed so, to do stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do something. So that's that one-to-one feedback loop. Like, right, did, it, right. did it play? Does it skip? Does it, you know, what, you know, if I jump, will it skip or we you know whatever. But when you are like, for example, in a software where there's maybe consumers or product who never even use it directly, like like, like legal or whatever it is, right? right? Or the CEO or whoever does not directly consume the product, but still is affected in some way by it. So let's say, let's use it like kind of to weave together some of the narrative we've yeah. had or conversations over the course of this call. Let's say they were going to buy this, this HR tool and it's yeah. the largest deal that they possibly could have ever landed. Yeah. And that's fine. And in their CRM, they're like, how come I'm getting an email from the head buyer over there that's saying, "You, where is the contract you said yeah. you were going to send? There's an environmental thing. It's supposed to keep me up to date. Something's, yeah. you know, right. Yeah. And so, so then I, I think we get then, we got the signals from the environment. It's something outside of your service or your offering or your product. And it's yeah. saying something's not happening. Yeah. And you get signals from the product, which hopefully are positive, that are helping you maintain trust with that. Yeah, that's the experience, right? Yeah. What is this this thing with the unregulated goal and the regulated oh yeah yeah goal? That's, that's that's part of the model. Yeah, I have that in there. So you know, we adopt a product. Uh, you know, I'm I'm suggesting right, and part of the theory of jobs to be done right is that we are actually adopting a product not to not for better product outcomes necessarily. Right. But, or if it is, it's because of some sort of environment, unregulated environmental goal. Okay. Right. So like, for example, our company, so I'll, I'll talk about us, like, you know, why, why we bought a CRM, like we use copper CRM. Okay. So, you know, why do we use copper CRM? You know, before we used to use Trello or, you know, whatever, you know what it was. And, and it was kind of said before is that we had this like, un, you know, had this unregulated goal of, that's a fancy word of saying unmet, like, um, the reason why I, I choose unregulated is because unmet has like this like binary, like true false thing. It's like a boolean thing. Yeah, exactly. A boolean thing where it's like, well, it can, because like, 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 for example, like we, we, we learn this, right? In, in, in studying HR or CRM tools, like for example, an organization will adopt a small CRM tool, like a HubSpot or a pipe drive, maybe even a copper. And then they'll get control of their sales process. So that, you know, they have this like environment of like, there's a bundle of goals of like, what, what does it mean to have control of your sales process? Right. But then as they scale and add in more and more salespeople, the tool, the way it was designed, does not enable, does not, uh, is not designed to help maintain the, 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 the environmental goal of, you know, make the sales manager aware of the status of every deal when they have a thousand salespeople. For example, so they would that in that previous environment, having control of the sales process would become un, like it, it was like the tool was regulating it. But then as they added more and more people to it, it became unregulated. It broke mm. because they added more and more salespeople to it. So that's understanding that like it's this like a goal is this thing that can be met, you know, but then as circumstances change, it can be, quote unquote, unmet. It's not just like, well, it did it and that's fine. So I'm sorry. So, so going back to this, it's it's that you know, it's, I, you know, like for us, why we switched to a, a copper, why we adopted copper was, as, as I said before, was kind of same thing before was we wanted, I wanted to engage all the other people in our firm as feeling like they were part of the sales process. Cause when it was just me or me and my partner uh, doing running sales, doing most of sales, the other partners would be like, well, you know, you guys just seem to be landing deals or, you know, pushing us contracts, but you know, where is that coming from? You know, even, even though they're not doing any sales calls, they still were like, you know, how, how is all this happening? And so we wanted transparency into the sales process, which we didn't have before when it was just email and like my little to-do list. So kind of to touch on that point, like yeah. why, why did they want the transparency? How was their environment being affected as a result of this lack of knowledge? I want them to feel more engaged, you know, and have trust in our what we were doing and feel like they were part of the team mm -hmm. and didn't feel like that they were out of it, right? And so I, I felt like that if we had transparency, 
that it was like enabling transparency would then enable if I if by hitting the transparency environmental goal, we would also therefore like that was the there was a constraint. Not having transparency was a constraint for another goal of having the rest of the partners trust us and what's going on in the sales process. Mm. So by pursuing that that first goal of enabling transparency, once you do that, you actually remove the constraint for another goal of having them trust us or having them feel like they're more camaraderie happening. So I, I thought like, so like, like, and I mentioned that's kind of important to understand because, you know, I think if you're like, wow, we heard this goal of like, well, you know, they, the, the, they want camaraderie or they want, I don't know, more teamwork feeling, you know, you might go off in the whole direction, like, oh, maybe we'll add like smiley faces or, you know, I don't know whatever it is. Right. <laughs> but like, you know, the don't focus, I basically focus on the, like, well, it's about enabling transparency, which is simultaneously a goal and a constraint. So it's, it's about knowing like kind of where to draw the lines. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, yeah, so that, that, that was, that was us. And so that was one of the reasons why we switched to a CRM so we, we could have that. So everyone could see the status. So everyone could see the status of deals, even if they weren't inter- like they weren't even using it really, they just, they, but they can still just kind of log in and see it. Even though they're not interacting with the CRM tool or even like in Slack, you know, we, we have it push the status of deals to, to a sales channel. So, so they don't even they use, want to check. Yeah. Yeah. So they don't use copper, but they're still getting like, you know, pings about what's going on in the CRM. So they feel like that they are part of the sales process and up to date on it. There you go. I think that makes sense. I mean, the reason why I ask, and I, I kind of already imagined what the answer would be, that it would be transparency and to yeah. feel more involved and to establish trust. Mm-hmm. I see so many parallels in this conversation. It's insane. Uh, that's how I feel about OKRs. I, I believe that organizations can be really well served with them if used correctly, right? Mm-hmm. If deployed correctly. Because the idea is this is what the whole organization is supposed to be going after. And now everyone feels and believes and sees and, you know, is connected yeah. to that in some way. There's trust there. Like it's not mm-hmm. some black box of what are, what are the higher ups doing and how is that affecting the business? Like they see it. And they see it in the form of, you know, the overall organization's targets or their department heads' targets and whatnot. And yep. So it's just the whole thing becomes this hopefully beautiful, beautiful visualization of this is how everyone's contributing value. And it's yep. why it matters, you know, like we had discussed earlier. Yep. And the example that you have of everything getting pushed into like a, a channel, like that's kind of how it rolls in yep. OKRs is all of that information is getting pushed into the singular place where everyone is saying, what's marketing doing yeah. and what's sales doing and what's product doing and how, how is that, how is customer success doing their bit? Yeah. And, it, and I'm finding like, it's interesting. I, on the negative side, I think like how crazy is it that all of us are kind of nosy mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. somehow almost it feels like we're inherently distrustful. Like we want access yeah, well, but on the positive yeah. side, it's like, you know, if if what you want to do is to build cohesive and coherent teams, this is the route that you want to go. Yeah. You know? So you know, when you know, if, if if you talked about people about how, you know, constantly said before, like how do agents in a system send messages to each other, and and interpret and then determine their own actions. Based on right. those signals, right? Yeah, all based on those signals. So, uh, you know, I just say, like, for me to both, you know, accept this OKR goal, right, you know, and also to help me achieve it better, it helps me understand this, helps me, it helps me achieve that and also want to achieve that when I understand what all the other agents in the system are also doing. Right. So I can adapt if needs be, but then also trust that this is, you know, that this actually is worth pursuing because... Oh, I see. If I hit my, you know, I see if I don't hit my goal, but marketing does, then I see that I'm holding up marketing, for example. Right. Or or whatever. Right. You know, if I don't finish. There are people who depend on you. Yes. And I think that that's like an environmental goal that most people in business have. Yep. Is I'm needed, you know, that Mm -hmm. I I am necessary. I'm, my work is meaningful. It actually contributes to something. Yep. And so if we were to kind of go back to your definition of, of the needs and, and the goals, 
Like that's the environmental goal. Everyone wants to believe and and know that what they do matters, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, and then the means to get there uh, could be whatever they're delivering, you know, that they delivered something yep. to to showcase that. And and then hopefully other people are like, high five, you did awesome. Yep. So like, okay, so then we, we discussed like the unregulated and regulated. Oh, yeah. Go back, like consumer evaluates. There's an arrow that yeah. goes to the left. I was trying to figure out that, but I, I was basically, I mean, because I, I don't want to get too... I don't want to do this too much. Like normally, like if you were going to do like a normal, like cybernetic view, you'd have like, well, there's a, there's a comparator function. And then there's this, you know, other input transistor thing. I'm like, okay, how can I make this more simple? I'm I'm just trying to figure out how to best (laughs) kind of communicate this, but basically, you know, so what's important, I believe, right. Is when you are designing product concepts or, you know, thinking about doing something new or different or even improving an existing product, recognize that there's two different, they call them comparators. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out a better way to do it, but that's, there's actually two different like evaluations going on, which is like, okay, right. It's like, how good is this product to like use interact with if I interact with it directly mm-hmm. versus how good is it in maintaining my desired environment? So there's actually two different types of computations happening because I might say, the product has a terrible user experience, but it maintains my environment. So, you know, going back to like the, the paper thing, right? Over at yeah. the uh, airline, you know, it it's terrible ex- user experience of all these, you know, we, you know, the head of HR has like cabinets and cabinets of like papers. <laughs> it's like terrible, but you know what? It's like, it maintains the environment or my environmental goals of having that, that audit trail. Right. So that's fine. You know, whereas, or a situation where, you know what? Yeah, the product experience is great, but it's not maintaining our environmental goals. So therefore, we're going to switch to something else. Mm. So I think it's important. Do you have an example of... Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, well, there are... To- I mean, there are to-do apps. There's a bajillion to-do oh, apps. Oh, my goodness. They're beautiful. And I used to be on the list team. Yeah. <laughs> beautiful, oh, beautiful, thing. beautiful, great user experience. They're great but they don't help you which they can't maintain the environment of like actually like get shit done. Having getting stuff done. Yeah. yeah. Maintaining your to-do list and getting stuff done. It's well, not because make you do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, it needs to be no like a make you do many, it list. Right. Right. No matter how many notifications and you spam a user to death and be like, you set this reminder for this time. And then you actually have it hooked up even to your home pod. And it's telling you that you're supposed to do it. It you'll, it's crazy, right? You'll end up with this long litany of stuff, and then mm-hmm. go through to do list bankruptcy, yep. and then switch to something else because it's super easy to adopt something else. Like I don't know your Apple Notes on your computer, yep, or like what I have now, which is just pen and paper. Like the alternative yep. is so much easier to just be like, if all I need to do is get the stuff out of my brain and onto something, just so that I remember that I'm going to do it. It's not going to make me do it, but I have it someplace. I totally, I, I see yeah, what you're yeah, saying. Okay. Yeah, and that's because that there are environmental constraints, mm. which that a to-do list technology cannot maintain, right? Like, you know, like, for example, if, if we were to like invent the to-do list of like, you know, the future, well, I guess there is one. It's a, uh, maybe like a personal assistant. Yes. Right. You know, though that personal assistant can go out and can do certain things for me that I maybe can't do. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, I have to go pick up something. You know, I have to go mail this letter, you know, but I can't because I can't get to the the thing on time before, you know, whatever. Like that's my, my to-do list, but some environmental constraints preventing me from, from fulfilling that. But if I had some sort of, you know, personal, oh, the personal assistant will go out and do it for me or will you know, he can move around my, he can reschedule things for me really quickly and then therefore enable me time to go out, you know, whatever it is. But this is like the to-do list app or whatever is just not hitting enough, not overcoming enough environmental constraints to help me actually move that needle from unregulated goals to regulated goals. Mm. It might be beautiful product experience wise, you know, but it's not helping me overcome those it's not helping me regulate that environment of like 
goals of like always be on top of what I need to do and help me, which I mean, there's actually a whole other environment, like help me figure out what I really need to be working on, help me keep it up to date, what needs to be done, help help me adapt to shifting priorities that, that, that come about and automatically do that, you know, which like an organization you actually have, it's called a manager. Right, right, <laughs> right. right. Who, who kind of, you know, should or could like shift things for you. Like, okay, you know, engineering team, like you don't have to, you know, things have changed and I have already figured out a new plan for us and how to adapt to that. Oh, wow. Like what, so what we're saying is what we need is not a to-do list. We need a life manager. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, or, you know, order, right. Or maybe you have a to-do, you know, app or whatever. That's like some smart powered AI. Right, exactly. You know, and it, like that movie, you know, Her. Yeah. Like oh, the, the movie, yeah. Her. Right? It's yeah, like, yeah. oh, you know, yeah. I went ahead and went through all your emails, and here are actually the three you have to answer. And right. one of them is like, your taxes are due. And, you know, like, here they are, like, sign here. And then I already moved the bank money from your bank account. Like, you know what I mean? And I scheduled your appointment with your hairdresser. Yes. Uh, and all you have to do is show up at this time. Yeah. That sort of stuff. Yeah, like the movie Her. Like, I think everybody wants that. But then, like you said, how do you get someone to trust that? Yes. You know, there's, and that, so that's part of the equation. It's like, it's meeting the needs. Maybe it's uh, it's the price point right, because maybe Google did it and it's free. And, you know, like you're the target customer for it. That's great. The messaging makes sense. And then you're like, wait, what about trust? Like, how do I trust the machine to not screw my life over, you know? Yeah, you know, yeah. and so okay, yeah. maybe we do that, and we say like, yeah. well, you know, yeah. our company uh, doesn't use project management tools. Uh, we use, you know, we've converted five companies from using project management tools to using our AI-powered task management system. You know, and here they are. It's Microsoft, and it's you know whatever bakery, I don't know whatever it is. You know, they've switched. Like that's how you would build trust. Like, oh wow, yeah, they're a billion-dollar oh, company, wait. and they've moved. Yeah. We can do that too. Exactly. Exactly. Now, this has been really, really great. Um, I think we have a lot that we've covered. I'm yeah, I know. I'm about a, your book. The, the book I'm working on right now, and I, you know, I'm aiming for it to be super short as possible. Like, I, it's going to be a whole lot of mini chapters where it's basically like, you know, like here is this some diagram of how needs work. You know, let's let's walk through like how it's created, how it changes, whatever. You know, here is how you know here's the difference between an environmental goal and an outcome goal. And here's how that affects adoption, right? You know, here is here is the, the the process of a consumer going from being happy with what they're using, all the possible steps they may go through that lead to product adoption. Maybe we'll we'll, we'll end on this. All right. So here is like I've I'm describing the process of cons- you know as as like a kind of Markov sarcastic process, like a random process, how consumers kind of can kind of work through these possible steps here. So it's, it's kind of fun to walk through because I think it's important because again, if you want to create growth, you got to understand like how, how consumers move through these steps and what you need to do to help them through those steps. Right. So they've got some, you know, this habitualized product consumption, which is like, that is the airline industry is you know, they use paper, a paper system for managing their, their HR stuff. Right. Right. So there's really to get them out of that. Right. The only, their only option is you can see there's only one arrow out and that's to goal disruption. So you have to figure out how to disrupt their goals. Right. Which makes them think, okay, we have to change, Mm. you know, like, and you have to either understand how that happens just naturally or figure out how you can prompt it to happen. Right. Okay. Right. Like, for example, sometimes in this HR example, like maybe there's a law change or like a law change happening next year, which there's some new compliance where somehow paper tracking no longer works. And right? you have to be digitally yes. know, like or, compliant or something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, how can we, you know, maybe disrupt that goal by saying, or, you know, they're, they're, you know, how do we get them out of that habitualized product consumption? You know, maybe we say to them, did you know that? Companies that switch from paper to digital HR uh, reduce their lawsuits by 25%, you know, and therefore save $100 million a year in legal fees. Maybe that's how you like disrupt that goal, for example. Okay, right. 
And so, so now they're like, okay, things, you know, my environment is not as it should be. They can either just kind of sit there, right? Maybe it's like, you know, think we're unhappy with the way things are, but there's nothing we can do about it. So maybe they just like sit there, right? Which happens, you know, sometimes we're just unhappy with the way things are, but they'll think, well, yeah, it sucks, but there's nothing we can do about it. And it is so, what it is kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So you have to, so like, that's what that little like recursive arrow is. Like sometimes I they see. stay in that state okay. or you figure, okay, how do we get them out of that? Well, we show them, you know, or how, how might they, you know, one way is, is called reinvention, which is where kind of said, like what I said before, like, well, maybe they adapt existing solutions. You like know? the example we said earlier about Excel, like yes, Excel was exactly. intended for that. That's like a common one, right? Yeah. I'm not going to, I didn't know that I thought I could manage my wedding using an Excel spreadsheet yep. to keep track of all my stuff, but that's what I'm going to do. And I, no- I normally use it for my finances, but this works. So I'm yep. repurposing. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We're repurposing. It's like re- the fancy term is reinvention, but you know, that's, that's re- maybe I'll use that one instead. Who knows? You know, we're still figuring out the language that <laughs> works best on people. Right. Cool. Or, the, or they can move into the, the hiring, what we call the hiring process because it's about jobs mm-hmm. to be done. Like what, what do I hire, adopt, Right. And the hiring process has its own little steps. It's like, kind of said before, it's like building trust and basically how they shop. You know, how do they look for things? How do they identify something as being new and different? How do they trust it? How do they value value for money? Like that kind of stuff. Right. Mm, yeah. And, you know, and like sometimes they will go into the market and say, you know what, there's nothing. You know, I, I did my Googling for a day and I couldn't find anything or maybe there was so much stuff out there, overwhelmed and like, well, let me go back and just maybe try that Excel spreadsheet again. Right. So maybe they'll go back to reinvention <laughs> right. or maybe they're like, you know what? We, we went out there and we searched in the market. So we're, we're, we're at the hiring. So maybe I reinvent or maybe it's like, you know what? Like, yeah, maybe we could reduce our legal fees by 25%, but the cost of switching is so much that, you know what, we'll just, we'll eat that. So we'll go back to what we used to use. So maybe you go back to habitualized product consumption, you know, or maybe they're like, oh, we found something that we think will work. So let's adopt it. And so then we'll Mm -hmm. go to like adopting a new way Um, or adapting to, you hire it and then you start adapting that solution, right? Which is now we're switching, you know, or changing from the paper. Because, you know, you don't just adopt the product in one day. It's not like, some products are like a mouse maybe, but a lot of products, there is, you know, the onboarding process, you know, there is like, you have to adapt to to the new way for, for some, you know, sometimes it happens in five minutes, sometimes it happens in five months. Right. But, you know, but like recognizing that, you know, this is where you can lose customers. Cause like maybe, you know, they, they go, they, their goals get disrupted. They go to the high, they adopt something, they go to the higher process, they do adopt your product. Now they're trying to adapt to it, but you know what? It's too hard to onboard or mm-hmm. whatever. And then what they do, maybe they, well, okay, maybe we will try Excel again. <laughs> or maybe it's like, screw this. Let's just go back to the old way. And they can so, hop all the way back. Yeah. So it's like, it's like recognizing, like, how do we make sure that we enable consumer? Like, do we, what's our strategy for getting target consumers through this process? And so that they end up choosing our product and actually adopting it at the end and building new habits around that. And that happy path is I have a habitualized product consumption and there's goal disruption that happens. I, yeah. I'm evaluating different tools. I decide, okay, all of these kind of suit the bill, but I'm going to hire this one for whatever yep. reason. Yep. And then once they are there to keep them, that onboarding thing and all the other stuff that we'll do post onboarding to continue to adapt and evolve with the, with our consumer, if you will, to adapt yep. anyway and stick yep. with it. Because yep. at any point, it seems like just based on the arrows I'm seeing on the, yep. the diagram, they'll hop backwards. They'll, they'll they regress. Could. Yes. And they can either regress to hire some other competitor because exactly. they're just not going to go back to the way that it was. Yep. Or they'll go back to something that they already have and reinvent yep. a, a new use for that current tool. I see. Yeah, like, this is going to be really cool. I'm really looking for. I'm glad we're ending here because I think, I think, and this is something I talked to with, with some other folks that, that are product leaders as well, or people who are familiar with building and shipping product. Product strategy is never static. Yes. Right. And and I think all of it, the genesis comes back here <clears throat> in this this theory that the the genesis of what people will use. And how they will use it and the environment in which they use it and the goals in which they have, all of that is also dynamic. It's not static. So we have to move strategy 
with our consumer. Yep. Um, and, and, and the way that we used to do it in this voice of the customer is useful. And a lot of businesses, I'm pretty sure, still go this route. But they're making incremental improvements because they're innovating or they think they're innovating, but only in the confines of what already exists. Yes. Rather than a holistic solution to deliver and, and disrupt people's goals or ideas about their goals. Because what we're, what we're talking about here, what we've talked about the whole time is how do we get to the environmental goal and satisfy yeah. that continually? Yep. yep. As the environment is changing. As the environment changes. Like, so like, right? so, so, and when you have this model, yep. then it's like, you know, you no longer have the like, like, you know, you know, the very fluffy and vague, like changing customer. How do you manage changing customer requirements? Well, once you understand how and why they are quote unquote changing, then you can plan for that. Or you can really ideally, uh, I mean, case this is all about moving from a, so if, if you're familiar with like, like systems design, there's right. like, there's different types of, there's like uh, feedback control, there's feed forward control, there's cascade control, you know, so on and so forth, right? This is about shifting companies from just being a feedback, which is basically what do customers tell us, right? to a feed forward model, which is anticipating. It's predicting. It's a predictive predicting, model right, rather building, than reactionary. Mm, yes. And then building contingent, contingencies right. so that, you know, it's kind of like, mm. you know, if you have an ant on the ground, you put a little sugar way over here. You know, don't just assume the ant's going to like zip over to the sugar. It's like, okay, I'm going to put my hand here and then it's going to move this way. I'm going to put my hand here. It's about right. adapting so they make sure that you go toward where you want to go. So, yeah, yeah. I, 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 and that's why it's, it's really funny. Like, you know, like that whole, that, that Clayton Christensen theory of disruption and that kind yes. of stuff. I mean, yes. it's, 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 it's wrong, right? We can go down that thing, but it's, it's been falsified. So it's, it's, it's every prediction you made was wrong. So, mm. you know, but we can go on beyond that. But what I just described to you is, what I would say is why quote unquote companies fail, right? It's because they rely only on a feedback model. And what happens is that when you're a large company and if your feedback process is very slow, which is what big companies get, then you can't react to a changing market. Like that's why small companies, smarts are small companies often beat out the bigger ones even though big ones have, have better resources, it's simply because um, either the smaller companies are either changing the market some way, like they're being feed forward, like, you know, like Apple introduced the iPhone, which they're anticipating that this will change customers' needs, right? Right. Or they can interpret market signals so fast and adapt so fast and put something new in the market really fast. Yes, because right. that, that feedback loop is, you know, it's you can tighter. imagine. It's, like, it's a, tighter. A startup idea where it's like, you know, RIM is, you know, they're, the point, you know, you can be successful in a feedback model, but you have to be super fast. Right. So, but like RIM, for example, they were not. Like, so when consumers' expectations changed around maybe like a touchscreen experience, it takes them three years to adapt to that. <laughs> right. You know, so, but, you know, but, but, but if they could have done that in a month or six months, then they could still do it. So it's actually what causes companies to fail. It's, when they're on a feedback model only and their response time is so slow that they can't react. So, I mean, I like by the time Rim did, yeah, like by the time Rim did put in, like did react to something in the offering, I mean, the market had already changed like two or three times after that. So they're always right. like, they're responding to like the market like two years after, like their signals, they're responding to signals from two years ago. Like, like yeah. actually I'll, I'll, I'll give you one, I think going on, but it's, I'll give you one example yeah, of yeah, where please. a big company, um, I, I won't, they're actually a client of ours. So we're, I won't say their name, but yeah. they're, they're a big company, you know, multi-billion dollar company. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but they have been, they've been relevant for you know, 40 years. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do they do that? You know, how, how are they? Well, turns out I, so as we got in there, their strategy, they don't do needs analysis, anything like that. What they do, they copy what someone else is doing already, and they just offer it a cheaper price. Ooh, see? That's their strategy. But, and you might think like, oh God, you know, that's like, they're just copying, you know, whatever whatever innovation elitist you want to be. But first of all, I'll say, first off, they make good money. They've been around for 40 years, but what's going on, what they've done is they've shortened that feedback loop. There, there, There is no... Let's do this real lengthy 
analysis of customer needs and then let's do all these fancy brainstorming things and let's let's spend a year two years market testing no they just like oh there's someone else they did something new let's copy them and they basically just have their engineering team like take the product take it apart okay let's copy that and then they put it back on the market like a few months later wow it, it works a lot but, but sometimes it doesn't work um sure. which that's another discussion maybe a little longer but i'm just pointing out that you know, it's it's not just it's it's again. It's about if you're however it is you're able to shorten that that feedback loop of responding to market changes and putting something back into the market. Right. And and maybe that should be you know another goal or kind of something to think about within like planning OKRs. Like you know how can we shorten the feedback loops between the individual agents and parts of our company which is probably what you said before, how do we empower people to make their own decisions about what they need to do to hit team, environmental goals, whatever that is. Well, that's it for this episode of Dreams with Deadlines. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and share. Show notes can be found on gtmhub.com slash radio. If you want to learn more about our product and services, head out to gtmhub.com. If you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, shoot us an email at radio at gtmhub.com. Tune in next time.